0: December 4th, 1977. Bangui, capital city of the Central African Republic. Roughly 4,000 citizens jammed into the city's sports stadium for the celebration of the century. After a year of preparations, the day had finally come.
1: The coronation of Jean-Bédel Bokassa as Emperor Bokassa I.
0: Bocasa and Empress Catherine were led into the stadium by two guards dressed in Napoleonic military attire. Bocasa himself wore a toga and Roman-style laurel around his head.
1: That laurel was eventually replaced with a $2.5 million crown. The Empress was given an equally expensive tiara. The coronation feast was the finest of meals. Iranian caviar, sturgeon, crayfish rolls, a seven-layer cake for dessert. It was the most lavish meal the country had ever witnessed.
0: As the plates were being taken away, Emperor Bokassa turned to one of his guests and whispered, You never noticed, but you ate human flesh. Welcome to Dictators, a ParCast Original. I'm Richard.
1: And I'm Kate. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Dictators for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Dictators in the search bar.
0: Today we wrap our season on African Dictators with the downfall of Jean-Bédel Bokassa in the Central African Republic. Last week, we charted his rise through the French army and the coup d'etat that put him in power. This week, we'll discuss Bokassa's turbulent relationship with France, his declaration of the Central African Empire, and the bloody circumstances that led to the end of his regime. We'll dive into the contentious relationship between Bokassa and France right after this.
1: This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. By the end of the 1960s, any direct threat to Jean Bedel Bocasa was gone. In April 1969, Alexander Banza, the man who helped put Bocasa in power, was executed for trying to overthrow him.
0: Now Bocasa's dictatorship was aimed at keeping himself in power to cater to his growing vanity and treasury. From the collection of titles he amassed, including Marshal of the Republic and President for Life, to his cult of personality, everything was in the service of himself.
1: And if anyone so much as thought about speaking out of line, they found themselves and their families thrown into the horrid Ngaragba prison. Ngaragba was a hell on earth in which prisoners were routinely beaten, starved, tortured, or executed. The only moment of respite was when a prisoner had the good fortune to be chosen to clean Bokasa's house.
0: But his oppression of the people wasn't just limited to physical violence. Economically speaking, the country was always struggling to stay afloat. This was almost exclusively due to Bokassa's plundering of the state's treasury and resources for his own personal wealth.
1: Central Africa had several major exports, uranium, ivory, timber, and diamonds. In one way or another, Bokassa siphoned money from all of those industries into his personal bank account.
0: While low wages stagnated, paychecks went missing and the economy neared bankruptcy, Bokassa lived audaciously. He even bought chateaux in France.
1: France was an obsession for Bokassa. After decades in the French military, he grew to love French heroes, especially Napoleon Bonaparte and Charles de Gaulle, whom he considered a father. He wanted more than anything to be like these French generals. Almost every move Bocassa made was inspired by them.
0: Unfortunately for Bocassa, the French government wasn't too fond of him. Bocassa's reign became a constant love-hate relationship with French leaders, at times, he desired their adoration, while other periods were marked by a desire to shame the former colonizers.
1: But there was always one constant for Bokassa: French money.
0: The problems with France began not long after Banz's execution in April 1969. A few weeks later, Charles de Gaulle was forced to resign amid political turmoil in Paris. Bokassa took the resignation hard.
1: Ironically, for all the love that Bokassa showered on de Gaulle, the French leader looked down upon Bokassa, even going so far as to call him the idiot that we have in Bangui. But Bokassa, blinded by his adoration for de Gaulle, didn't seem to realize that he was despised until de Gaulle was replaced.
0: De Gaulle's successor was Georges Pompidou, and neither he nor Bocasa were fond of one another. The biggest obstacle in their relationship was the simple fact that Pompidou wasn't de Gaulle. Bocasa looked upon Pompidou as an inferior. This, coupled with the fact that the French refused to help pay for Bocasa's plan for an African railroad, led Bocasa to become disenchanted with France.
1: So, in the fall of 1970, Bokassa kicked out the French agricultural advisors. He decided that these businesses would become state-controlled and the ruling elite within Bokassa's inner circle would run them. It was Bokassa's goal to turn Central Africa into a self-sufficient and modern agricultural powerhouse.
0: His plan failed almost instantly. The Bokassa sycophants who now ran these collectives were entirely incompetent. Production of cotton and coffee was supposed to increase to three times what it was under French control. Instead, production dropped by almost a third.
1: Bocassa and Pompidou begrudgingly came to recognize that they needed each other for economic growth. Pompidou offered to make amends by giving Bocasa a private airplane towards the end of 1970.
0: Unfortunately, the timing couldn't have been worse. Because just as Pompidou was trying to make economic peace, Bocasa was getting swindled by a woman claiming to be his long-lost daughter, and he accused the French government of masterminding it.
1: Over the course of his life, Bocasa was married a total of 17 times and was said to have fathered over 100 children, though he only acknowledged about 30 of them.
0: In the fall of 1970, Bocasa learned that he fathered a child during his French army days in Vietnam. Her name was Martine Wen Thi When Bocasa discovered her existence, he flew his 17-year-old daughter to Bangui.
1: She arrived at the end of November, and Bocasa, despite the multitude of children he already had, couldn't have been happier. He showered her with gifts and took her everywhere with him.
0: But a month later, the bliss came to a halt. Newspapers in Saigon reported that Martine was an imposter. Though a daughter named Martine really existed, the girl sleeping at the presidential
1: palace wasn't her. To make matters worse, the newspapers claimed that the whole thing was a setup by the French government in an attempt to embarrass Bocassa.
0: But Bocasa refused to be embarrassed, instead, he saw it as an opportunity to inflate his image as loving father to all.
1: So, he adopted the fake Martine.
0: But this false daughter affair made the relationship between Bocasa and Paris even rockier. The media constantly ridiculed and criticized every decision Bocasa made, even his decision to adopt Martine. His image was irrevocably tarnished within the French government.
1: And yet, Bokassa knew he couldn't quit the French. He needed their money. He needed their love. His threats to break away from France were always hollow because he knew there were no real alternatives.
0: However, things took a particularly dark turn in April 1974 when the body of a French woman was found in a Bangui hotel room. Not only did the French press claim Bokassa was her lover, they accused him of being the murderer.
1: The accusation sent Bokassa into a rage. In response, he nationalized the oil industry and banned French-owned publications from printing and distributing books in Central Africa.
0: It seemed as if the final break was near. There was only so much abuse Bokassa could take from the press. Both sides were merely awaiting the next crisis.
1: But then, in April 1974, President Pompidou suddenly died. Bokassa was completely over the moon to learn that an old friend, Valerie Giscard d'Estaing, would be his successor.
0: Bokassa and Giscard had known each other for several years, having first met at de Gaulle's funeral back in 1970. More importantly, Bokassa was keenly aware that Giscard's family had ties in Central Africa's rubber industry. With his friend at the helm in France, Bokassa wouldn't have to worry about diminishing aid.
1: At the same time, Bokassa would make sure that Giscard's family investments in Central Africa remained in good standing.
0: For the rest of 1974 and into 1975, the relationship between Bokassa and France was on a high. French businessmen became heavily invested in diamonds and ivory, Bokassa received legitimate income by staking a claim in these companies.
1: Unfortunately, as Bokassa lined his own pockets, the country continued to straddle the line of bankruptcy. The most pressing issue was paying soldiers and civil servants. In the summer of 1975, Bokassa humbly asked his friend President Giscard for financial help.
0: Giscard agreed on two conditions. First, Bokassa must stop his extravagant purchases in France. And second, a French financial team had to come to Central Africa and look at his government's books. Desperate, Bokassa agreed to both terms.
1: When the financial team came back with their report, Giscard couldn't believe how much of a mess Bokassa had made of Central Africa's economy. There was no real budget, and the government kept few records of spending.
0: Bailing out the Central African Republic would be financial suicide. So, Giscard was forced to reject Bokassa's request for additional aid.
1: Bokassa couldn't believe his ears. He immediately considered how he was going to retaliate.
0: A year later, the answer came to him like a divine epiphany. If France wouldn't love him, perhaps her enemies will.
1: And Bokassa could think of no greater French enemy to make his ally than a fellow African dictator, Muammar Gaddafi.
0: Coming up, Bokassa makes an abrupt conversion to Islam and starts an empire. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply.
1: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously,
0: and 6 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing
1: an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Now, back to the story.
0: After a falling out with French President Valérie Giscard d'Estaing, Jean Bédel Bocasa decided to get even. In the fall of 1976 the 55-year-old dictator traveled to Libya to celebrate the anniversary of Muammar Gaddafi's rise to power, and while there, came up with an outlandish idea to make France pay for her perceived treachery.
1: He would convert to Islam and model Central Africa's government around Gaddafi's ideology.
0: After taking control of Libya, Muammar Gaddafi wrote his political manifesto, The Green Book, A New York Times article best sums up the philosophy within the book as a peculiar mixture of utopian socialism, Arab nationalism, and the third world revolutionary ideology.
1: Bokassa agreed to religiously and politically convert in the hopes of getting a taste of Gaddafi's oil money. Oil was literally gushing from the deserts and making the Libyan dictator rich it was the perfect solution for Bokassa to line his own pockets and bail out his nearly bankrupt country.
0: So in October 1976, Bokassa, in front of Gaddafi, converted to Islam. He took the name Salah ad Ahmed Bokassa. And as a show of good faith, Gaddafi signed agreements that instantly transferred money into Central Africa's coffers.
1: Many in Bokassa's cabinet followed the dictator's lead and converted. However, some refused. One of those who refused was former president David Dacko. By now, Dacko had been let out of prison and appointed as an advisor. He believed that the conversion to Islam was a betrayal to his Catholic Mbaka people.
0: But Bokassa had no interest in actually following Islam nor did he actually intend to change the government to reflect Gaddafi's philosophy. His actions were all a political ploy.
1: Bokassa did intend on changing his government, but not how anyone imagined. A few days after Gaddafi left Bangui, Bokassa sent his cousin, David Daco, to Paris with a message. He would break ties with Libya and renounce Islam if the French government would recognize him as emperor and he wanted France to pay for most of the ceremony. France said yes. The announcement that Bokassa was to be crowned emperor seemed to come out of nowhere. In reality, he had quietly been considering it since taking power. Bokassa admired the few remaining emperors of the 20th century, including Haile Selassie in Ethiopia, the only emperor in Africa.
0: But two years earlier in 1974, Emperor Selassie had been overthrown. The turmoil saddened Bokassa and made him think that perhaps he should be Africa's new reigning monarch.
1: But instead of crafting his own identity, Bokassa turned once again to the French for inspiration. He wanted his empire to be modeled after a man he grew up admiring, Napoleon Bonaparte.
0: In the past, Bokassa hinted to Giscard about turning the country into an empire with a royal Napoleonic ceremony. Giscard brushed off the idea. It would be foolish to hold such a lavish coronation considering the poor state of the economy.
1: That is, until Bokassa started meeting with Gaddafi. Now, France was scrambling to keep him on their side. It was cheaper to pay for a coronation than lose their economic interests to Libya. So, on December 4, 1976, the Central African Empire was born.
0: With the new empire came a confusing reorganization of the government. One of the more confusing aspects was that Bokassa created an imperial cabinet to coincide with Prime Minister Ange-Félix Patassé's cabinet. And this new imperial cabinet, located in Bokassa's palace, would often override the prime minister.
1: Historian Brian Titley writes, The idea behind the two cabinets was apparently to enable the emperor to wield real power while giving himself a scapegoat if things went wrong. The prime minister could always be held responsible for the many ills of the country.
0: In essence, Bocasa wanted the title and power of emperor without the responsibilities or consequence.
1: So while Prime Minister Patassé attempted to run the government, Bocasa focused his attention on the royal coronation. The theme was Napoleon Bonaparte's 1804 coronation. From the attire that he and his guards wore to the music that was played, All of it was to emulate the crowning of the historical emperor of France.
0: But there was one notable missing element, Pope Paul VI. Like Napoleon, Bocasa wanted the pope himself to place the $2.5 million crown on his head at the cathedral in Bangui, which was fittingly called Notre Dame.
1: However, the Vatican declined. They said the pope was too old to travel and that popes in general no longer crowned kings or emperors. The best they offered was sending a representative and performing a mass after the ceremony.
0: While not entirely pleased, Bocasa took what he could get. All that truly mattered was that the day went flawlessly and he had his crown and scepter.
1: On December 4, 1977, in front of 4000 people, 56-year-old Jean-Bédel Bokassa was officially crowned Emperor Bokassa I. Standing in front of a golden eagle, dressed in a toga and velvet cloak, Bokassa swore his oath to the people.
0: He would call this moment the greatest victory ever won by the Central African people.
1: But the victory was hollow. No major head of state attended the event. Neither Idi Amin nor Mobutu Sese Seko, supposed friends of Bokassa's, were in attendance. And neither was the French president, Giscard. Instead, the international community found the entire
0: ceremony a joke. The newspapers ridiculed Bokassa for how audacious and over-the-top the whole affair was and, more importantly, how expensive it was.
1: The bill that France paid was estimated to equal about $20 million, or $80 million today, making it one of the most expensive coronations in history.
0: However, one of the French representatives defended the ceremony. He suggested that much of the criticism was due to racism. He pointed out that everyone was quick to criticize Bokassa's lack of austerity, but not Queen Elizabeth's during her Silver Jubilee, which took place that very same year.
1: Whatever criticisms Bokassa read in the papers were of no concern to him. He was now emperor. And in the days following December 4, 1977, Bokassa relished living the royal life in his palace, about 50 miles from Bangui.
0: But while the world's leaders refused to take Emperor Bokassa seriously, a faction of the Central African community saw the coronation as a breaking point. But it wasn't the military or members within the cabinet who were most incensed. It was the nation's students.
1: For years, Bokassa and the students of Central Africa had a contentious relationship, not unlike the one Bokassa had with France. He didn't ban education like Francisco Macias Nguema, rather, he censored discourse on Western politics and human rights.
0: But the change came too late. When the empire was announced, many of the older students realized how dangerous the situation was becoming and began protesting. Bokasa knew he needed to silence these students before they started considering a coup.
1: Inspired by a recent visit to China, Bokasa ordered that all students must wear uniforms to school. The idea was to force them to conform and usher in a more militant approach to education.
0: Unfortunately, in 1978, the economy was once again in the tanks. Inflation was through the roof, civil servants weren't getting paid, and the families simply couldn't afford the uniforms. So when classes started, only a handful of students showed up properly dressed.
1: Things came to a head in January 1979. Schools in Bongi barred students from entering the classroom if not wearing a uniform. It was the tipping point the students had been waiting for. There was no reason they should be denied an education just because Bokassa had mismanaged the economy.
0: On January 19th, roughly 3,000 students between the ages of 14 and 25 took to the streets of Bangui demanding that their parents be paid. Days before the demonstrations, the Shah of Iran had been forced out of Iran. In Bangui, the students began shouting, after the Shah, Bokassa.
1: In response, Bokassa sent the military to help the police break up the protests, and violence erupted well into the night. When the smoke finally cleared, an unknown number of people were dead. But Bokassa had regained control of the city.
0: When word of the protests reached France, President Giscard offered to help Bocasa with a loan. Bocasa readily accepted it, and for once, didn't siphon it all for himself. Instead, he actually used it to pay the teachers, civil servants, and soldiers what they were owed. He hoped that with the students parents now paid, the disobedience would end.
1: But the January protests, which started spontaneously, ignited a revolution. For the next few months, resistance organizations secretly began cropping up around the city. Throughout March and April, rallies and strikes erupted with one demand, the end of Bocasa.
0: Bocasa became increasingly annoyed. No matter how many teachers he arrested, the rallies continued and grew in number. And when one rally in mid-April resulted in mass arrests by the military, Bocasa had reached his tipping point.
1: At midnight on April 18th, Bokassa ordered the military to round up students of all ages in Bangui. For hours, soldiers swept through the streets, going door to door and arresting children. For those who weren't able to flee to the neighboring Republic of Zaire, it was off to Ngaragba prison.
0: For the next 12 hours or so, These children were tortured, many of them beaten to death. Some witnesses would later claim that Bocasa himself partook in the torture, using his ivory cane to beat the children.
1: When the parents demanded answers, the government denied that the arrests even took place. Eventually, they admitted that less than 50 students had been arrested and 18 had died.
0: But Bocasa knew that the arrests painted him in a horrible light. So on April 20th, he declared himself the father and protector of all children and ordered that it was now illegal to arrest and imprison the youth.
1: The next day, April 21st, the surviving students were released with a lethal warning that if they acted up again, they would never see freedom.
0: Bocasa was convinced that his firm response would be enough to suppress any more dissent from the students. But he couldn't have been more
1: wrong. Coming up, the downfall of an empire. Going for your first ever run around the park. Literally running errands all over town. Running for the finish line and your personal best. If you run, you're a runner. Find the shoes and clothes to run your way at newbalance.com running. New Balance. Run your way. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon
0: discover... Inside the house there were the bodies of two women a story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true i am just praying to god this is
1: a sick joke from 48 hours this is blood is thicker the Hargan family killings listen to blood is thicker the Hargan family killings wherever you get your podcasts now back to the story
0: From January through April 1979, students throughout the Central African Empire protested the rule of Emperor Jean-Bédel Bokassa. After arresting, torturing, and murdering some of the students, Bokassa hoped that his firm hand would put an end to the dissent. Instead, it was the beginning of his end for his empire.
1: Within weeks of the April arrests, disturbing reports spread to Europe of violence against children in the Central African Empire. In London, witnesses testified on the atrocities before Amnesty International.
0: On May 14th, the organization published a report on what they'd learned. All throughout Europe, calls rang out for an investigation into the massacres.
1: Bokassa downplayed the report. He claimed the French press was blowing everything out of proportion.
0: But French President Valéry Giscard knew how bad it looked, not only for Bocasa, but for himself. So he called for the creation of an investigative commission. Bocasa only agreed to cooperate after Giscard threatened to cut off French aid.
1: But that didn't mean he had to be entirely truthful. During interviews with the investigative commission and the press, Bokassa continued his campaign of denial. He proclaimed that Amnesty International had exaggerated the situation. He went so far as to blame an unnamed French ex-wife of his as the mastermind of the whole thing.
0: But as the investigation continued, the mood in the empire was changing. Bokassa began to sense that something was amiss. His relationship with the French and members of his own cabinet was suspicious. By July, Bokassa was paranoid that a coup was afoot.
1: He wasn't wrong. Many within Bokassa's government realized the gravity of the situation. The possibility of serious blowback became more apparent each day. They knew they needed to distance themselves from the emperor.
0: One of those concerned men was none other than the former president, David Dacko. In the middle of July, Daco defected to France with the intention of overthrowing his cousin, claiming that a full-scale revolution was on the horizon. Unfortunately, the French government wasn't buying it. They refused to help Daco. However, they allowed him to stay in the country for his own safety.
1: Daco's defection angered Bokassa, but he saw it as more of an annoyance than a real threat. His empire would remain intact.
0: Unfortunately, such peace of mind only lasted a few weeks. At the end of July, the final report by the French commission was about to be released. And it didn't look good for Bocasa.
1: On August 1st, Bocasa discovered that his friend Giscard was demanding that he step down. The report directly implicated Bocasa in the massacres, including his direct participation in the torturing of children.
0: But Bocasa refused, he would not abdicate, nor would he accept the offer of living peacefully in France. If they wanted him off the throne, they would have to take it from him.
1: France decided to do just that.
0: In the middle of August, the commission's report was released and sparked the outrage everyone was expecting. Within days, France cut all economic aid to the empire that was not related to humanitarian projects like health or education.
1: At the same time, the French military drafted up plans to invade the Central African Empire. Known as Operation Barracuda, the plan was to peacefully topple Bokassa and install a successor.
0: The French ultimately decided to reinstate David Daco as president but daco wasn't too keen on the idea yes he wanted his cousin deposed but daco feared Bokassa's revenge but when the french met with daco he reluctantly agreed mostly because he was strapped for cash and being president would afford him the chance to fill his pockets
1: France made the invasion known to neighboring leaders in Africa, and all of them, former friends of Bokassa, agreed not to intervene. They, too, had grown tired of the emperor.
0: Bokassa, meanwhile, was busy trying to keep the nation from going bankrupt. With French aid gone, Bokassa was unable to pay his soldiers and civil servants. He knew he needed to do something without giving up his own personal fortune, and he needed to do it quickly. He decided to suck up his pride and once more asked Muammar Gaddafi for help.
1: Gaddafi was all too happy to forgive Bokassa for his betrayal in 1976, mainly because the empire had things Gaddafi wanted. In exchange for aid, Gaddafi wanted access to Central Africa's uranium deposits and control of a strategic military base.
0: Bokassa accepted right away and to formalize the deal, he would go to Tripoli and meet with the Libyan dictator on September 19, 1979.
1: On September 20th, Bokassa sat down with Gaddafi and hammered out the details of their arrangement. By the time their meeting ended in the late evening hours, Bokassa had the funds to pay his soldiers. He went to bed feeling great about the lucrative New Deal.
0: But he was suddenly awakened at 2.30 a.m. to distressing news. David Daco, backed by French commandos, had seized the capital. In the hours that followed, Bokassa discovered the extent of the treachery.
1: The French had been closely monitoring Bokassa's movements thanks to the Prime Minister, who was poised to be named Vice President under Daco. When Bokassa left for Libya, the Prime Minister telephoned Paris and Operation Barracuda was a go.
0: Along with over a hundred of France's most elite paratroopers, Daco was flown into Bangui and seized control of the capital. The Empire's military, still untrained and ill-equipped, immediately threw down their weapons at the sight of the French commandos.
1: The Empire had fallen without a single bullet fired.
0: But Bocasa wasn't going to let the coup stand. Within hours, he formulated a plan to fly to one of his mansions in France and plan a counter coup. Unfortunately for him, France wouldn't accept him. After landing in France, Bokassa was told he wasn't allowed to disembark the plane.
1: In the days that followed, while trapped aboard the plane, he learned through radio messages that no country would accept him, not even Libya when he asked if he could return to Central Africa and live the rest of his days as a farmer, David Dacko denied the request.
0: Finally, on September 24th, after spending nearly three full days trapped on the tarmac in France, Bokassa got word that the Ivory Coast would accept the deposed emperor. The request came from Giscard, and the condition was that Bokassa could live freely in a mansion so long as he didn't engage in
1: politics. Bocasa had no other option but to accept.
0: In the days that followed, Bocasa's imperial mansion was raided and an untold amount of money and jewelry was confiscated. Political scientist Samuel de Kala reports that an estimated $125 million was discovered. The mansions Bokassa held throughout Europe were all confiscated as well.
1: But the most shocking discovery during these raids were mutilated cadavers in Bokassa's refrigerator. The bodies sparked the rumors that Bokassa was a cannibal. David Dacco added fuel to that fire when he told the press that not only did Bokassa eat humans, but he fed them to foreign dignitaries.
0: The French press ate up the cannibalism claims. This, with the discovery of mass graves at Ngaragba prison and bones inside lion and crocodile pits, called for Bokasa to be tried for crimes against humanity.
1: But Daco didn't attempt to extradite his cousin for a trial. Instead, his focus was on moving past the reign of Bokasa and turning the country in a new direction.
0: So Bokasa remained relatively free in the Ivory Coast living amongst the people and dining in high-end bars. For entertainment, he watched as his weak cousin was once again overthrown by the military in September 1981.
1: The bloodless coup by General Andre Kalingba gave Bokassa an idea. If he was Napoleon, then the Ivory Coast was his Elba. He still had a chance to reclaim his kingdom.
0: Bokassa waited to make his move, He eventually left the Ivory Coast and was granted permission to live in France until a more permanent country would take him. But after five years of waiting, he was finally ready to return home.
1: On October 23, 1986, Bokassa quietly snuck out of France and flew to Bangui. The moment he stepped foot in the airport, a sense of unease came over him. He had expected a hero's welcome, but no one seemed to give him a second glance.
0: Then, as he walked through the terminal, someone shouted, The boss is back! Soon, a crowd of former supporters gathered around him, cheering with joy.
1: But within 90 minutes of his landing, word had reached the authorities and Bocasa was arrested by French military units. He was locked away in a military camp.
0: Bokasa claimed that he wasn't there to overthrow Kalingba, but rather to clear his name, especially the slanderous rumors of cannibalism. So Kalingba decided that the best way to rid the nation of its demons was to have a public trial.
1: Bokasa's trial began on December 15, 1986, and it was the media circus that everyone had anticipated. Bocasa faced 14 various charges, including murder, embezzlement, and cannibalism. And he denied every single one, blaming overzealous officers instead. Cannibalism
0: was the charge everyone looked forward to during the trial. For years, the rumors of Bocassa’s eating habits had been a specter over the country.
1: Unfortunately, it became painfully obvious that the cannibalism was a smear tactic. Witness testimony fell apart during cross-examination. David Dacco backtracked his earlier claims. Even the French press believed the charge wouldn't stand.
0: In fact, when the trial finally ended in June, cannibalism was one of the few charges of which the court found Bocasa not guilty. The rest, however, were guilty convictions.
1: Initially, Bocasa was sentenced to death by firing squad but President Kalingba agreed to commute the sentence to life in prison, most likely in an attempt to avoid violence from Bokasa supporters.
0: In September 1993, Kalingba announced that he was granting amnesty to all of the country's prisoners. After serving only seven years, the 72-year-old Bokasa was a free man.
1: In his final years, although he walked around in his martial uniform and used imperial letterheads, Bokassa never made another attempt for power. Instead, he lived in relative poverty at a small villa, relying on gifts from family members to survive.
0: On November 3, 1996, the 75-year-old dictator died of a heart attack. By now, no one uttered his name nor gave him a passing glance. The glory he had spent decades trying to achieve had all but faded. His name was a footnote in history.
1: Jean Bédel Bokassa's sole mission in life was to be honored at the highest level. He wanted to replicate a Napoleon-style empire with himself at the top to create a monarchy in Africa like those in Europe.
0: To that end, his rule was more about acquiring personal glory than bloodthirsty totalitarianism. Unlike Idi Amin or Francisco Macias Nguema, Bocasa didn't commit genocide. With the political imprisonments and suppression of dissidents, the number of dead during his 14 years as dictator comes to around 500.
1: But, like Amin and Nguema, Bokassa's reign set the stage for his country's future of upheaval and chaos. To this day, Central Africa has suffered various coups and civil wars. All three
0: of these post-colonial African dictators share something in common. Their sole goal of achieving personal power meant that the people were going to suffer. Programs and institutions that should have been put into place at the beginning of independence weren't.
1: More damning is the fact that European powers were the impetus for these dictators to take control. France and Britain had working relationships with Bocasa and Amin, respectively, and Spanish businessmen helped prop up Nguema for their own gain. In the end, more than half a century later, the consequences of colonialism still echo in Africa.
0: Thanks for listening to Dictators. Next week, we begin our new season and head to South America. We'll dive into three dictators who came out of the United States' Operation Condor. Jorge Rafael Videla, Augusto Pinochet, and Alfredo Strussner.
1: For more information, among the many sources we used, we found Brian Titley's Dark Age, The Political Odyssey of Emperor Bocasa, especially helpful.
0: You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Parcast Originals for free on Spotify.
1: Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite Parcast Originals like Dictators for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker.
0: To stream Dictators on Spotify, just open the app and type Dictators in the search bar.
1: And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll see you next time.
0: Dictators was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound design by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Dictators was written by Joe Guerra, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher, and stars Kate Leonard and Richard Rossner.